everyone. Welcome back to the Filipino American Woman Project, known as TIFA Project for short. I am your co-host, Jen Amos. And as always, I am so fortunate to have my current co-host, I don't know, my current co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back. And the reason why I say current is because we actually have an incredible guest on our show today, one of the OG hosts of the Tifa Project, which I'll get into in a second. But before I do, I just want to remind everyone that if this show resonates with you in any way, remember that you could actually text us and engage with us. Our phone number is 415-484-TFAW or the number is 8329. So once again, that's 415 484 8329. Feel free to text us, leave us a voice message. We don't pick up the phone because healthy boundaries are important. Plus, you know, we're not always on our phones. And also you can email us. And if you want to continue to engage with us and be a part of our community, we encourage you to check out the show notes of this episode and subscribe to our newsletter. Nani, I always feel like I have to ask you any thoughts about the newsletter that you want our listeners to know? No, not that I haven't already said. (laughs) Just do it. If you are not subscribed to our newsletter by now, then you are the one missing out. So (laughs) subscribe to our newsletter. That's where we keep our most recent updates, news, messages, resources that we want to share with you guys, events, things that we've been featured in. If you want to peek a little bit into Jen or my life. And our interns also do a lot of good work for our newsletter. So there's a lot of heart that goes into it. And we would appreciate if you guys humored us and took a look. Yeah, beautifully said. Thanks, Nani, for, again, encouraging our listeners to subscribe to our newsletter. We do put a lot of love into that and energy. And if you're not ready to subscribe yet, you can always find our latest newsletters on Facebook or Twitter. Or you can DM us on Instagram if you want to get a copy. No pressure to sign up, but, you know... We find that our mailing list is continuously growing, which gives us inspiration to continue doing what we do with the mailing list. All right. Well, with that said, I'm really excited because I get to bring on my OG (laughs) co-host of the Tifa Project. So little background, if you're listening to the show for the first time, the Tifa Project actually started via Facebook Live. And I remember back in San Diego... I would just meet people in person and interview them and, you know, turn on Facebook Live and do that. And then, and so my friend here that I'm about to bring on, like she eventually started joining me and being a part of the conversation. So with no further ado, I want to bring on current grad student and OG co-host, original co-host of the Tifa Project, Giselle Deo Diaz. Giselle, welcome to the show. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) I love it. No, it's so great to have you. Why don't we start with you sharing? I mean, this sounds like obvious, but like, how did you hear about the project? And more importantly, at the time, what compelled you to get involved? Well, the one and only Jen Amos is who introduced me to the TIFA project. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get involved was because I wanted some sense of community with my people and currently I do identify more now as a brown Panay, trying to like decolonize like how colonization has impacted us as a people. And I always felt left out. I wouldn't say that I was very popular within my communities. I definitely got along much more with my mom's friends. So all the aunties, I was always the one that wanted to be like on their good side and say, hi, auntie, how are you? And I really struggled making friends with their daughters. I don't know if this has anything to do with my mom having friends that had 
husbands who were predominantly white. So I was surrounded by a lot of mestizas and I really tried to assimilate or fit in. And I just always had this concept of like not fitting in or not feeling good enough to fit in. So I would always be the one brown panai in most of the involvements I was a part of. So I think with you, Jen, starting this project, it was like, wow, this is something I can belong in that I can see myself be a part of. And I want to be a trailblazer in this concept that you had formed. So that's how I heard about it. That's why I wanted to be a part of it. And I wanted people to feel like that they're here, that they belong and that we see you and you're still doing it very strongly. So I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, no, I'm happy to kind of, it's just so odd because I think if I collect like all the interviews we've done together, like you're probably going to see how much we've grown, (laughs) you know, throughout the years. I do want to thank you again for years ago, honestly, when we had that Mother's Day special that we did in person and you brought your grandma out, (laughs) you brought your grandma and had her share her story. And, you know, you were helping out, like kind of being her translator as well. And so that was a really fun experience. Any thoughts about that time? I'm so happy I was able to participate in it. I know I didn't have a lot of funds and I believed in this project so much that I wanted to contribute whatever I had. I know I wasn't even the best translator and to have my grandma be up there was like a true testament to how this is a generational show and how it can incorporate different types of like people to come into the program. So I think those were just like the very beginnings of the TIFA project. And I'm so happy to be a part of that inception. Yeah, we still have the Facebook Live interview of that from like years ago. So yeah, thank you again for doing that. Because it was great to represent like different generations of Filipinos, you know, all in a panel, which was like really cool to witness. So I thought I'd check in with Nani. I wanted to see if you had any thoughts so far. Yeah, actually, I was just thinking about that the other day and talking about it with someone. We definitely need to have more Lolas on the show. And I was just thinking like, dang, I really don't have any more like grandmas left in my family. So there's not anyone that I could ask. You know, I've missed those opportunities as it relates to like getting stories out of your own family or interviewing your own family. So I'll have to start with the next generation down. But um, I was thinking that maybe we could, you know, when we reach back out to our past guests to get in touch with them, we might ask them if there's like a family member that they would want to bring on the show with them to get interviewed for a second round. I think that would be a really cool idea, like meet the families of some of our guests. And I love Giselle that you had such an early idea to do that and took advantage of the opportunity, you know, while you guys were setting up this project to learn from your own family and to, you know, make your grandma feel like a star. I'm sure she loved it. So, yeah. And also, I haven't met anyone from the Facebook Live days. So this is also very special to me to be able to see what you guys kind of were cooking up before Jen put it on Apple Podcasts and switch platforms and took the hiatus and everything. So it's a cool insight for me and really nice to meet you. Yeah, for sure. It's just so cool. I feel like I'm kind of like bringing generations together. And also, you know, I think that the assumption of most of our Lolas is that they 
are still, let's say, colonized in a way where they have to be submissive or not outspoken or what have you. But there are definitely outspoken Lolas out there, (laughs) you know, and so I would be very open. It's not that we have been against, you know, having like Lolas on the show, but, you know, that's a good idea, Nani, to kind of go back to our past guests and say, hey, like, do you have a Lola that you want to bring on? Like, let's say like Stacy and her grandma, for example, because she was raised by her grandparents, right? Um, So something to like keep in mind and knowing that like a lot of us had to be raised by other relatives while our parents had to, you know, work and provide, you know, for our family. So just something to like keep in mind there. Giselle, just wanted to see if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, so my grandma definitely raised me the first couple years of my life. And I think that's why I really wanted to bring her to the show. It's one of the reasons why I really struggled in class in elementary school, because English was not my first language. And that was something that really stuck out with me. But the values that she instilled inside of me are pretty badass. Like, I'm not going to lie. My grandma was like, nobody tells me what to do. I run this show. And I'm like, yeah, that's what's up. Papa, you better be taking notes. So some of the things that she reminded me of is like, even when our society has like told us to say like, oh, we need to be submissive. Yes, in a way, my grandma did follow those set of rules. At the same time in the household, she ran the house. So I think that's some of the qualities that I still really appreciate about her because even to this day, she's very chatty. She has a lot of energy or what my mom would say, oh, she's so makulet. And I'm like, I'm glad mama is makulet because like I wouldn't want like a low down grandma like, oh, like I just want to <laughs> die. Like what kind of a grandma would be like that? My grandma's always like, oh, let me do something. I want to go out. She's like full of life. Yes. Full of life. There you go. And before the pandemic, she's like, oh, I want to go dancing. I want to go <laughs> do cha-cha. Like I'm going to play bingo. And she always wanted to make herself feel feel dressed up. So she's the one who's like, oh, I want to wear pretty colors. I'm going to go put on my jewelry. Mm, oh neat neat like do, do you like my lipstick so she helps me to kind of like look into myself like what does it mean to be beautiful mm. is it just appearance or like how do you treat others so those are some qualities that I still love about my grandma and it's like age is not a number like mm-hmm. for us it's like how do you treat others it's like well, if I'm young and hip, then everybody else is young and hip. And that's the vibe that I get from my grandma. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that you outlined that. Like, I feel like watching her, you kind of learn how to love yourself. Like she showed you what to do to like really pamper yourself and make yourself feel nice and pretty and hype yourself up. And that is, you know, a great skill to have in life and <laughs> something that is, I think, most of us learn from our grandmas if we have that type of relationship with them. Cause I know I definitely have a similar story with mine. So that just makes me feel very nostalgic. <laughs> yeah. Well, Giselle, so we sort of did this or we've done this in the past when we were interviewing people and I wanted to remind people in case this is the first time they're learning about you, but give us a little bit about your background, maybe your family history and most of all, why you identify as a Filipino American woman. So when it comes to background, I guess I would consider myself a 1.5 generation brown Panay American. So 
I was born in the Philippines, and because my father served in the military, Navy more specifically, we were able to immigrate over here to the United States. So I have three younger siblings, and they were all born here in the United States, here in San Diego, more specifically Balboa Hospital, which I found that's where a lot of Filipino Americans were born. Yeah, my sister was born there. Josephine was born there. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like because I was raised by my grandparents more so like the first nine years of my life, I definitely feel like I'm not as Americanized as my siblings. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like my background, I would identify more as a 1.5 generation just because I've seen how it's impacted the ways in which I've grown up and how I've perceived the world. Like I know that I still feel like I live inside this little bubble to protect myself. Whereas my siblings, they go all out. They do what Americans do. And I sometimes feel like, oh gosh, like I wouldn't want to do that. And they're like, but why not? Like, this is what we do. An example would be like, I never really got to have roommates. Like growing up, I was always just at home with my grandma, with my mom. And I didn't move out until like I got to be with my partner who I'm currently married to now. So I guess in that sense, I'm a little bit more traditional, whereas I've seen my sister kind of go out and live with roommates. And I've seen my brother like go and pursue different things outside of school. So for me, like I don't really replicate those ways. Mm -hmm. So that's why I can't say I'm fully Americanized, but I know I've been living here my entire life. So I don't know if that's helpful with the background. Yeah, well, that's your background. That's your story. And that's really what we're just trying to gather here is like, you know, how or why do you identify in that way? And I don't think we've had guests recently who would identify as a certain generation because sometimes I feel like it's confusing. Like for me, technically, and you can help me with this, Giselle, like technically I'm second generation because my mom immigrated here, right? And then I was born, well, in Japan on American soil. (laughs) So technically I'm second generation, right? But Mm -hmm. some people would claim like, oh, well, I'm first generation because I was the first to be born here, you know? So I think it depends on everyone and where they stand and their understanding of the generations. And so I like that you had explained that, you know, that you were born in the Philippines, but then you know, you migrated here with your family, your dad having joined the military. But even though you weren't born here, you were essentially raised here. And you picked up the English language as a result of it, and everything. So I think it's a good way to explain that and to our listeners to understand that there's no like hard definition of what it means to be Filipino. It's really your own interpretation, and how you articulate that to people. Yes, and I just love how multifaceted Filipinos are, because not only do we have different languages, we have different upbringings. So I know for myself, I can only speak for myself. Like, sometimes I feel like I put myself in this bubble because I could have transitioned in the ways that my siblings have been Americanized, but I chose to Mm -hmm. stay within what I only knew and what was only familiar to me. So... Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain that, but I love how multifaceted our upbringings are and how they lead us to where we are in our current present moment. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So Giselle, you know, you've been on the show a number of times. Actually, yeah, even when we started the podcast, this is before Nani joined us, you were like one of the first people I interviewed again. 
you're like my guinea pig for like a lot of things that I do, I guess. So thank you for being that person. And I say guinea pig in the highest respects, obviously. It's not like you're an actual guinea pig. A lot has changed, I think, since we had last spoke. And so give us a snapshot of your life today. What keeps you busy or excited about life nowadays? So for me right now, I'm a little embarrassed to say that my life is so surrounded by work and school. So when I talk to people outside of that, they're like, oh, we're always talking about work and school. And it's like, well, I'm just so enveloped in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm currently working two graduate internships, one at San Diego Mesa Community College and then another at UC San Diego. So that accumulates to about 32 hours each week. I usually start my day around like 7 to 8 a.m. And I'm on the screens until like 8 p.m. So it's very tiring. So I have classes in the evening from like 4 to 7. And then I have meetings with my assessment team from like 7 to 8. And one of the rules that I've created for myself, and this comes with setting healthy boundaries, is I'm off the screens by 8. So if y'all need to say something, you better say it now. If you need to assign me anything, you better say it now because that's my time with my partner. And that was just a way for me to really set some form of expectations so that people can respect them. Because I feel like in the past, I've always struggled with having people cross my boundaries or Mm -hmm. like even feeling violated in a sense. And like, I remember my parents would be like, oh, go hug your auntie or like, go hug your uncle. And it's like, but what if I don't want to? And I think (laughs) because those were blurred very, very early on and me being a recovering perfectionist and wanting the admiration, respect and love from the people that I admired, respected and loved, It's like I always wanted to be a helper. Mm -hmm. So seeing how that's transitioned now, it's like, how can I be more compassionate? And one of the things that I love about my favorite researcher, her name is Dr. Brene Brown. I'm sure you all have heard about her. And she does a lot of her research on shame and vulnerability. And that's the ways that we have been brought up. Like shame is a tool that my parents utilize to make me be disciplined, to make me feel a certain way. And I had to learn how to take that power back. You do not make me feel anything, but I feel hurt when X, Y, and Z. So I think now that I'm learning how to set healthier boundaries, and it's the most hardest with my family because they they see me a certain way. And Jen, you've seen how my siblings have treated me in the past Mm -hmm. to now be in this position where I'm supervising student leaders and I'm facilitating group meetings and I'm conducting assessments for programming for students. It's like, I have to carry myself a certain way. And Now that I'm able to set out these expectations with bullet point formats, it's like, oh, Giselle, like, I'm just looking at the time It's 7.50. Like, do you have to go? And it's like, yes, I do. What would you like me to do for you in this time that we have together? So I'm really, really proud of that achievement that I've done personally and all that inner work. I know that was one of the messages that I brought to the podcast the first time, learning how to set those boundaries. And my sister was a great example. And I actually am thinking of another one that I could share later on. Yeah, for sure. Like you even have boundaries with me. You're like, hey, I'm going to be free at this time. You know, it's like you put me on the calendar. (laughs) And I love that. You know, I think it really is a reflection of how much you've grown, I think, in the recent years. I mean, really just the decade that I've known you (laughs) and like how I feel like I need to respect your time. You know, I was even asking you earlier, I was like, hey, are you free? And you're like, no. And I was like, oh, she's not free. I have to wait. (laughs) 
have to wait for the time that we agreed upon, you know? And so just knowing that, I like how you sort of bring that back because like you said, that was a life lesson you shared when you joined me on the podcast, like early on is like boundaries and how you still, you're not just enforcing it in your personal life, but you're enforcing it in your professional life. And I can only imagine the level of respect that people give you as a result of that. Oh, thank you. I think one of the beauties of us being, you know, Asian is that we look very young. So when I work with my students, they think I am their peers. Mm -hmm. So I remember I had to advocate like, hey, to my supervisor, I need a name tag because students think that I'm taking classes with them and I'm not. And I'm dressed professionally and they still think that I'm taking classes with them. So what can we do about that situation. So I think being able to find ways to relate with students and where they feel comfortable and safe to disclose like information that they're struggling with. A lot of the things that I hear is imposter syndrome or like not feeling good enough. And this is connected to my experience as a Brown Panay. So it's like, I can, I can identify those things with students, but how do I create that sense of respect? So I think now, because I just recently got married, that has also changed the playing field. But at the same time, being able to just say, hey, I'm 28 years old. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, you don't look like that. I'm You're like, like, yes, I, I have know. amazing skin. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, and it goes back to my grandma. It's like, age isn't really a number. It's like, how do you present yourself to the mm. world? So I think I've kind of like internalized that and subconsciously brought it out to people where people just feel like, wow, you know, Giselle's so bubbly and lively. I can connect with her. And at the same time, like she means business. Mm -hmm. When she has an agenda, she wants these done and she's going to make sure that I complete them. So I think that's really nice being able to connect with students in that way. And then also having them see that I'm not a student like them. I'm a staff member. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Nani, I know you're drinking, but I want to check in with you, see if there's anything you wanted to add. Yeah, no, I mean, I used to think that it was just my family when I was younger. And the more people that we interview on the show or the more stories that I hear people tell about their own families, I realize that it's a pretty common thing for us to not be good with boundaries or not be taught really anything about boundaries. And so the fact that you're able to set such a, you know, like black and white line, especially in your professional space, I think means a lot for your mental health, because I know how much you have to work through, you know, the toxicity of like shame being used as a tool to kind of manipulate you into being a certain way. I know how hard it is to kind of like break out of that shell and decolonize that belief about how you should carry yourself. And that's something that I think I still struggle with in the professional atmosphere as well, drawing those kinds of boundaries or not feeling guilty about drawing those kinds of boundaries. And it's definitely something that I even argue with like my partner about, you know, because I'm like, why are you on Slack at 9.30 p.m.? (laughs) You know, like, what is that? What kind of message is that sending to your colleagues? And just not everyone sees it that way. So I appreciate when I can come across someone who is firm in that belief belief and really is like, nope, this is my me time. And, you know, my job is not my life, basically. 
Oh my God. So speaking of me time, I have to tell you both, you're both going to hear this for the first time, what I've decided to do for my birthday. <laughs> so oh, yeah. this, this will already be recorded. You know, this will come out after my birthday, but do you remember like both of you know this, like last year I went to California and I mean, actually even in the Bay area, I had an Airbnb to myself. So when I visited you, Nani, I had an Airbnb and then Giselle knows when I was in San Diego, I had an Airbnb to myself for like an entire week. And it was like amazing. And you know, this time of the year I've been feeling, well, I I have like seasonal depression around this time of the year. I've talked about that in the recent episodes, but also, you know, I've been having this craving to just like be by myself because I was able to do that last year and everything. And because I haven't been able to go back to California, my brother was supposed to get married in November, but they pushed their wedding to next year. And I've just been really feeling it, you know, like I've been feeling homesick. I've also just been craving like alone time, like just like straight up alone time where I'm not responsible for anything or anyone like my dog and my husband, but I mean, just anything in general and just like not feeling like I'm always tied to my phone and everything. So for my birthday, I decided that I got an Airbnb to myself (laughs) for two nights. Yeah. So I got an Airbnb locally here in Virginia beach, actually near the tourist side of town. And I got for two nights, uh, like the night before my birthday and then the night of my birthday. And I'm still like planning it out. But the whole idea for me on the day of my birthday is that I don't look at my phone. Like I'm going to like challenge myself to like not look at any of my notifications, even if people greet me. It's like, I don't know. I mean, you can greet me, but I might not respond that day is what I'm trying to say. And so really just taking a moment to like be by myself and be with myself and just kind of like reflect at the end of the year. Cause usually around this time of the year, I like to reflect and I like to kind of, you know, figure out what I want to do for the new year and stuff like that. But I guess I just been feeling this, you know, need to get out of my, you know, normal environment and kind of get like a clear, fresh perspective, you know, outside of what I have. Obviously, I love what I have, but it never hurts to, you know, have time to yourself and get that kind of clarity. And so that's what I'm gonna do for my birthday. I'm gonna hang out by myself. (laughs) I'm really stoked about it. And it reminds me of what we're talking about here with setting boundaries and especially setting boundaries around, you know, the people you love. And, and also with, with the added pressure of like the pandemic, I felt like I couldn't go anywhere. And so fortunately, I found an Airbnb where they're very strict on cleanliness and social distancing. And so, you know, crossing fingers, it's going to go really well. And I'll definitely talk about it more in an upcoming episode on how it turned out. But anyway, that's what I'm doing for my birthday. (laughs) I'm so excited for you, Jen. I love alone time. It's interesting because even though I'm in the same apartment with my partner, like I still find ways to have alone time. And I think that reflection really helps me recenter so that I can present the best version of myself when we do have that downtime together. So I'm really excited for you. I can't wait for you to have that time to yourself and early happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Giselle. Awesome. Well, anyway, that was a very long detour. Let's go ahead and reel it back in. (laughs) And so we're at the part now, my favorite part of our conversation, Giselle, where we share a life lesson. And so you can answer this one or two ways. You can share maybe a mantra, a Bible verse, or a quote that you live by, or an epiphany that you had that you live by. Or you can also like do it pandemic style and share like what has 2020 taught you. So the floor is yours. Let us know what lesson do you want to share with our listeners today? So one of the things that I've been taking in more since the pandemic has helped me to reflect. So my birthday was just this last month and it's about letting go. 
letting go of things that don't bring meaning to my life, letting go of things that I have held on to for such a long time. And it is so hard, like, because I thought that I would be able to do it right away. But it's just been a mantra I've been repeating to myself. And some of the inner work that I've been doing is healing my inner child. And I've given her a name and Jen knows very much about her. Her name is Jessie. So that's the nickname that my family gave me. I'm sure you all have known that it's very, very culturally relevant for Filipinos to have nicknames. So every time I notice myself like tick off or every time I notice myself like get super anxious because I'm a high functioning anxious person. I'm a recovering perfectionist and I care about people. And sometimes that can show up in projective ways. So having to attend to her when she shows up has been the hardest. And one of the things that has been helping me when I find myself in a bad place with my partner is telling him how old I am. So I'll be like, baby, I'm like 10 years old right now. And I'm trying to make this instant pot recipe. And I know that you're trying to give me some critical feedback, but Jessie is not having it. She's about to shut down. And I know that your instructions are loving, but right now you are a doer and you're not being a great teacher to her. So what are we going to do about this? Because I know in the beginning of our relationship, I've tended to shut down immediately or run away. Like I emotionally run away. And these were examples that I saw my parents do when they would argue. So just a little bit more background. My parents divorced in 2014 when I was an adult child. And that significantly impacted my life because my extended family did not believe in divorce. We were born and raised Catholic. So the idea of divorcing a loved one is like unimaginable. So I also understand that it was difficult for them to communicate. And that is something that I acknowledge that I had to inherit like because that was my coping strategy with my partner. And I really love that we can find ways to communicate with each other. So when I learned that I need to be able to talk from a place of how old I am, that was just one of the ways that really helped him understand where I'm coming from. So I don't know how we got to this point, but (laughs) that has really helped me in communicating like with my partner. I don't remember where we were going. I feel like I've gone into... No, I got you. Um, Okay. I got you. I'm in. I'm in. Jumping in. I love your approach when you talk to Sameh about, you know, when you're triggered, essentially, right? You're saying, hey, I'm Jesse right now. I'm Jesse. I'm 10 years old. And I need you to teach me, not tell me, (laughs) you know, what to do or push me into this. And, you know, that's definitely something that I don't really do. I don't, I don't just all of a sudden talk to Scott and be like, Hey, so Jennifer doesn't like you right now. Like she doesn't want to talk to you right now. You know, like I don't, I don't do that. You know, I'll just be like, Hey, like, this is how I'm feeling right now. And yada, yada, yada. But I love your approach on that because I think when you do that, at least for your partner or for your loved ones, it's like, especially if they understand where you're coming from, they're like, they can shift gears, right. They can kind of like shift their minds and like, Oh, okay. I'm not talking to Giselle right now. I'm talking to Jesse. Like Jesse is really triggered. Like she needs me right now. She needs me to be there for her. And I just like absolutely like love your approach on that. And I think it makes it easier, you know, for someone to communicate with you when they know that you're not being your normal self, you know? Yes. And I think this goes back to like learning how to let go because I know that it was difficult for me to let go of like painful 
actions that people have done to me. Mm-hmm. That's something that I hold on to a lot. And I realize, wow, like I'm 28 years old. Like, when am I going to get over this? It <laughs> reminds me of this analogy of like wishing someone to die when you're drinking the poison. And mm. I do that all the time. So even like in my work environment, like I've noticed, wow, like I have implicit bias and I work with students who are black identifying and I made a caricature on social media. So this just goes to show that even our social media systems are inherently racist because I didn't know that it wasn't appropriate to put like a black person with like question marks on top of it. Cause I was just doing a Q and a thing and it really impacted my student. And it goes mm. back to like this intent versus impact. And it wasn't my intention to hurt him, but my impact was very painful. So kind of seeing that with myself, like why can't I let go of the things that people have done to me when I now am having the tables turned to me where I have unintentionally hurt someone. So kind of putting myself like in my parents' shoes, it wasn't their intention to have a divorce because I wanted that complete whole family. So what can I do to let this go? I think that is something that I'm still working on and it's working with my inner wounds and with Jessie and like really attending to her and sitting with her. Like, why do you feel this way? Like, I'm here for you. You're in a safe place you have food in the refrigerator, you have a roof over your head, you have someone that loves you, Mm -hmm. you have professionals that care about you. So I think being able to remind her that she is safe, because at the time when she was 10 years old, she was not. So I think when I can talk to my partner, when we have disagreements, it's like, oh, I know where this trigger is coming from because Giselle knows what to do. She's a go-getter. She does things that are hard. She does things that are vulnerable. But right now, Jessie is just not having it. So can we make her feel safe? And I think those are the things that have really helped me with setting healthy boundaries with myself and with others. So this leads me to the conversation or the story that I wanted to tell you about my sister. So when I told you about this podcast, I remember she was calling me a specific name that I didn't like. And more specifically, it's uh, Ho. So (laughs) she was like, oh, you're a hoe. Like that was just the way that she was talking to her friends. But then when she would be angry at me, like it had a different meaning. It carried a different energy. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, what are we going to do instead? Mm -hmm. So I know in our culture, it's very, very prevalent to call those who are older than us, Ate and Kuya. So my sisters and my brother all call me Ate. It's weird if they were to call me Giselle. Like I just, it doesn't, they just never call me that. So I've noticed when I talk to my mom and I want to give her my feedback, she doesn't take it in that way. She thinks that it's very disrespectful. And it really impacted me in a way where I was like, you know, I wonder if what we're doing in our culture is impacting the way that my siblings don't give me feedback because they see me as this person that knows everything. She's experienced a lot more mistakes. So I wanted to even out the field and say, Hey, baby, like, if I'm doing something that's problematic to you, can you tell me? And if I react in a certain way, that doesn't make you feel comfortable. I just want to tell you that I'm really sorry, but I'm going to try and find and meet you where you're at. Mm -hmm. So I remember I was in the car with Samantha, my partner, and then Kimmy. And I was venting to her about my brother. And I was like, I can't believe 
Anthony hasn't received like mental health yet. Like I'm really worried about him. And I just keep going on and on and on. And I just fixate on what's negative. And she's like, Ate, I'm so sorry, but I'm not ready to listen to you. Talk to me about queer right now. I don't have the capacity to listen. And even though I know you care about him, like, can we just talk about something else? Wow. And I was like, oh. wow, that's impressive. I'm so proud of her in that moment. And I have to attribute it to the fact that I told her, hey, baby, like this was a long time ago. And I said, like, if there's a time where I'm doing something that's problematic to you, please let me know. And I think it came back to that stem of my professional life when I unintentionally hurt my student. And I always want to be open to feedback because I can improve. I love to say that I'm a lifelong learner. And even though I'm studying for like a master's degree and I want to pursue a doctorate in the future, it's like, I will never know everything. And it's okay to say to students like, hey, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the students that I work with, I feel like they have been violated by adults mm-hmm. where they've grown up in a way where it's like so much trauma has happened to them, where whether that started with post 9-11 and then with the 2008 recession and then now the pandemic. So they're yeah. feeling like, how can we trust adults? They don't know what the F they're doing. That's so for <laughs> me to listen to them and want to be a representative of their needs, and the resources that they deserve. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so healing for me. This definitely is healing Jesse so much more because I just wanted to assimilate. I just wanted to fit in. But here they are saying like, we want to stand out and we're going to make our movement the way we want it. So I think being able to kind of learn from my students in that way and then bring it home and see how my sister is advocating for herself. Like it makes me so proud. So (laughs) learning how to let go of things that don't matter, learning how to let go of painful actions that have been happening to me in the past Mm -hmm. has been one of the biggest lessons that I'd love to send to all of our listeners today, because it's going to get better. I know it may not be better right now, but when you get to that point, it is so magical. I don't know what other word to explain it, but I'm here with you in those moments where you feel scared and when you don't feel safe, like I want to sit with you and let you know that it's going to be okay. Yeah, beautifully said. I do have some thoughts, but thought I'd check in with Nani. Yeah, no, just beautifully said, like Jen said, and I feel you like on all of that. That was like mic drop. Well done. And we're done. Yeah, I do like what you're talking about in regards to letting go. I think it's also like learning to let go of like the phantoms of your past. Like I think sometimes when we're triggered, it's because we're still allowing like the phantoms or the ghosts of our past like repeat itself. And we kind of tell ourselves that's our story. Like we think that whatever pain we had in the past is like a curse or it haunts us for like the rest of our lives. And so, you know, reminding ourselves like, hey, we're not there anymore. You know, it's like, hey, Jesse, we're not there anymore. Like we're not 10 anymore. And I got you, you know, Giselle's got you, right? And seeing how you are able to have that reflect through, you know, with your siblings and also like in what you do and the, the work that you do in higher education is beautiful. I think it's really powerful. I kind of want to talk a little bit too about like shame in general, but I haven't updated you, Giselle, <laughs> on this, Naughty knows. But in addition to couples counseling, I now have a therapist for myself. And so, so that's like a new update in case you're wondering. And for
for me, the one thing that I'm trying to unpack right now, like outside of the work doing with Scott right now in counseling, it's like, I've actually discovered that there's a shame that I'm still carrying to this day. I didn't realize it, like it dawned on me, like I think after my first session with the therapist. And so now it's just a matter of unpacking that and like, why am I still carrying that particular shame and guilt, you know? And of course that, you know, I think for most of us, that's a a cultural influence, right? Like the way that we are obedient is we felt guilty for not being obedient. And that kind of like continues to carry through. But it actually kind of caught me off guard to realize I was like, wow, like of all the boundaries I've been able to push for myself, I didn't realize that this is one thing that I'm still absolutely shameful about, you know, and so, so I hear you on that, and that it's an ongoing journey to heal, right? And work through our the phantoms of the past, you know, work on letting go. And sometimes when times are hard, it repeats itself, like it comes back, right? Because it's something that's familiar. I, we talked about this in a previous episode. But you know, a lot of people like, for example, we, we weren't conditioned as human beings to be in an emergency state for this long, like being in this pandemic. And so, you know, people's healthy coping mechanisms have been exhausted. And so a lot of us are sort of reverting back to the unhealthy coping mechanisms, like we used to have, you know, and so just being mindful of that. And I think just having this discussion overall, will be great, you know, for our listeners to again, look inward and see for themselves, like, am I carrying shame? Like, am I still carrying some kind of shame? Is there something I'm still holding on to? Nani looks like you had something to say. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to say, by the way, like, thank you for modeling that inner child conversation that you have with yourself. I think that was like such a gem to hear because I know that everyone hears about, oh, yeah, do inner child work, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, how do you actually cultivate that relationship and get to know your inner child versus who you are today? So I think that that was just really helpful to like witness you talking to yourself in that way and even communicating to your partner from that perspective, you know, that is such a gem. And I can just tell that you've done so much work in that space. Yeah, it's very common for Giselle and another one of our girlfriends to say like, yeah, so I was talking to my therapist today. And (laughs) so it's just like normalized amongst our friends to like have have therapy (laughs) as it should be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Giselle, any thoughts about anything we talked about so far? Not in particular to shame, but this did remind me of one of the things that we do as Penais and how we've been able to survive is how we've weaponized kindness. So I don't know if you two have kind of noticed this, but when you see how Filipinos have been able to globalize around the world, you can find us. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed we have lost who we are in terms of our identity. Mm -hmm. Like we don't know our native tongue. We know our colonized tongues. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a surviving mechanism. And this is some of the things that I'm noticing within myself, like trying to be submissive. How do I break that down and unpack that? How can Mm -hmm. I be more assertive at the expense of my own self? Because I know I really care about people that I respect and admire and I want their attention. But is that really worth the expense of losing who I am? And I want to say, no, that is not worth losing. I want to still hold all of myself intact. But when I think about our culture, it's like we have so much religion in the Philippines. And by religion, we have different types of religion. We also deal with like colorism. Like Mm -hmm. how about like the pure, genuine 
Pinai. Like we don't see a lot of that type of beauty. And I wonder if it is because we've had to rely on our kindness in order to survive. So I know I've heard of this quote where it's like, our, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. And I'm just reminded of that, like, how can I still be kind to folks without them trying to manipulate, like, who I am to fit into their mold? Because we aren't meant to conform. We are meant to shine and we are meant to shine brightly. So those are some of the feelings that I have, like when it comes to shame, it's like I want to fit in. And I notice with like the students that I'm serving, it's like they don't want that. So it's like a connection to how all of us are trying to like solidify our mold in this world and and showcase like these are the best parts of us while at the same acknowledging that these are also things that we struggle with and we're going to continuously improve upon that. So in terms of like what we're going to improve on, like I think of crab mentality or like I think of favoritism and that has impacted me negatively. So how can I be more inclusive? I think that's another reason why I reach out to those who are at the margins, who feel the most isolated, who don't feel understood. It's like, I want to come to you because I know what that feels like. And I don't want you to feel like that. If I have some form of agency to make sure that you're going to be okay, like I'm going to be your person. Yeah. And one thing that I've come to admire about you, Giselle, is just how inclusive your language is, like the way you talk even just using the word partner, it's like you want other people who may not adhere to the heteronormative ways of identifying your loved one. You know, you want them to know like, oh, I'm with you. Like I call my person a partner as well, you know? And so that's just one of many things that you do. And also just the conversations we would have offline about like the work that you do in higher education and really, yeah, just, just knowing how to make people feel like they're not alone, feel like, you know, you see them, you validate them. And that's something I very much enjoy. I don't do it in the same way, but part of why I love podcasting is I'm always trying to uncover people's stories to find common ground. Because even though we don't look the same, I bet there's a story in there in your life that we can relate to, you know? So it's just cool to see like how you approach it, like in your professional life. It also goes back to our language. Like we don't have he, she pronouns. We have they So when I hear my mom and my dad, like they misidentify their kids, it's like, oh, she needs to do it. I'm like, oh, it's your son is a (laughs) he. Mom does it all the time too. (laughs) It's because we have sha and sha is them. We don't Mm -hmm. have like brother and sister. We have kapatid, which is Mm -hmm. sibling. So Mm -hmm. I think that just goes back to our ancestral roots of like how inclusive we all originally were. So I'm happy to bring (laughs) that back to the conversation. And it just goes back to like how multifaceted we are and how we can crystallize and focus on one point and how that connects to the bigger picture. Yeah, no, beautifully said. Giselle, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I just, before we go, any closing thoughts? Thank you so much for having me be a part of the show. It's great to kind of also see how much I've grown from our Facebook live shows. And Nani, thank you for doing such an incredible job of co-hosting with Jen. It's been a pleasure to hear your personal story as I'm listening to the first season. So incredible work. I want to give credit where credit is due. And again, it is such an honor to be back and a part of the show again. 
Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Thank you for bringing the 360 perspective here <laughs> on the TIFA project. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, of course, thank you for helping me lay the foundation early on. And I just, I've always felt like you were there for me whenever I tried something new. So thank you for being that person. <laughs> but if you want, Giselle, would you like to let people know how to get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? <laughs> Yes, find me on LinkedIn. I don't have a lot of social medias. I feel so bad. So when people are like, oh, you can add me in Snapchat or Instagram, it's like, I don't have those. I don't have TikTok either. That's a good thing, though. Yeah, (laughs) set those boundaries. (laughs) So you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn. I do have a Facebook, but I don't really post about my personal life. I just post like wholesome, compassionate quotes. So if you need some of that tender, loving care on social media, that's what I will be posting. But yes, LinkedIn, Giselle Deo Diaz, J-E-Z-Y-L-E, space D-E-O space D-I-E-Z. Cool. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate when people spell for me because it's like I do that like on another show and I like I just feel like I'm always like stumbling over my letters. So thank you for <laughs> for doing me that favor uh, for that. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel good. I'm just happy to connect with you again, Giselle, as I always do and just see how busy you are as you always are <laughs> and fighting the good fight in the work that you do and also continuing on in your education. So, you know, you know how much I admire you, how much I love you. That would take another hour to dive into if I really wanted to get into it. But other than that, thank you again, Giselle, for being here. We absolutely appreciated you coming back on our show. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, Nani, thank you again for co-hosting with me as always. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And again, to our listeners, remember if this conversation resonated with you in any way, remember you can engage with us, whether it's emailing us or be part of our newsletter or shooting us a text at (laughs) 415-484-8329. I almost forgot the number. Again, it's 415-484-8329. Thanks again, everyone for joining us. And we will chat with you in the next episode. Until then, happy holidays. Bye. Bye.